Welcome back to season 11, episode 33 of the Digital Orthopedics Podcast, where we bring you the extraordinary lectures from the Doctors of Experience 2023. My name is Dr. Stefano Bini, and I will be your host for the podcast. In our next episode, we'll hear from Fabrizio Billy as he brings us back to DocSF Science. This is the second segment. Please welcome Dr. Billy and his extraordinary panel to the DocSF stage. Hello, good morning again, second part. So today we have two sessions. One is on sensor and XR, the other is all robotic surgery and cobots. I would like to invite my panelists up here, Corey Callenden, Gavin, Stefan, all right, and Peter. All right, so you already met yesterday, Gavin and Peter. Today, also on the panel, we have Corey Callendine. Corey is a founder and partner of the Nashville Bone and Joint Institute, and he's a hip and knees only surgeon. Hip and knee only. <laughs> Man of a very narrow skill set. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's a very passionate robotic surgery and all the innovation technologies. Stefan is the co-founder of Innovate Orthopedics in Texas and a pioneer minimally invasive and computer-assisted hip and knee replacement surgery and changed the way orthopedics is delivered in a much more individual manner. All right. So let's start with our first paper, Corey. Yeah, great. Thank you. So glad to be with you. Probably not qualified for the panel. I just want to disclose that and say it before you say it. The first paper is around evaluating a new virtual reality concept. You see it as well as I can. K-wire drilling with force feedback. And it actually ties in really well to what Justin was teaching us about. Now, I'm not so sure this is new. Virtual reality is here and coming. Largely what Justin was talking about is those headsets that are fully immersive. This is looking at something very different. This is a force feedback system. He was trying to reference that with regard to happy I think was the term he used. But you see here in this paper, they're not with the headsets now. You're watching a TV screen. In the top row there, if you just look far right, that's what the person doing the procedure is looking at during the entire procedure. And then work your way left. They're using a 3D printed model that kind of looks like a hand. They're using the drill. You see that in between those two images I was referencing. That drill has that force feedback. When you're placing a K-wire into bone, the surrounding cortex is hard. So you actually get a different force when you start drilling into the bone. Then the center part is softened, much like that dog bone that you've seen, hard outer, soft inner. And then when you get to the second cortex, it's firm again. So the whole concept in this paper is trying to show that with force feedback, you can place a K-wire safer and more accurately. Again, you're feeling that's how we say it in surgery. You're feeling the first cortex. You're going through the softer bone and you're feeling the second cortex. So the concept here is, can you use this simulator and how would it compare to training in a cadaver? Now, a couple of general comments. Essentially, they took one group of mid-level residents is what they did. So third year residents was the average. So one group they trained on cadavers. And then the other group they trained with this HVT system. Now, the test was actually in cadavers. You with me? So one group trained on cadavers, one group trained in virtual reality, but the test was actually in cadavers. So you would think the ones that trained in cadavers would have a 
advantage, but the paper actually showed the exact opposite. Not only were those trained in virtual reality able to do it faster, they were able to do it more accurately and safely. Remember how we talked about that second cortex? Once the pin hits the second cortex, you have maximal stability. You don't really want to over-penetrate. So really interesting concept here. One of the notable limitations, this is force feedback, very different than the cutaneous haptics that are allowed with the immersive systems. The rub here that I want you to see is between force feedback, which is this large simulator setup, again, top row all the way to the left, versus just something very portable with the immersive headgear. Thank you. Yeah. 10 second comment. <laughs> yeah, so when I teach residents in general clubs, my typical Advice to them is when they read a paper, is it new? Is it true? Is it going to change what you do? So is this new? Not quite. Is it true? Which means does the methodology hold up? And I think it did, but I think it's already old. And is it going to change what I do? Probably not. I think there are better systems on the market. Peter? Yeah, the thing that stands out to me, I've seen these kind of papers go back and forth. So there's a paper on unicompartmental knee replacement in which they found no difference. But it's really what the functionality of the VR or these, you know, haptics, whatever it is, gives you. And how do you get that to change, say, a trainee's behavior where it's both easier to do it at home and you're incentivized to do it at home. And so it opens up this whole new opportunity to train. So this is just one facet, I think, of the bigger set of possibilities. If I can maybe add a little uh, personal experience to learning. I'm a dyslexic and I went through medical school and it was extremely difficult for me to go study all this stuff. And so I, I was always interested in how can I improve my learning as a dyslexic because reading from left to right was extremely struggling. I love things like this. I love the presentation today by Oso on virtual training because we have so many different inputs and every person is an individual and some people are tactile, some people are intellectual, some people, you know, they can't pick up a softball very well and drop it out of their hand. And so I love research like this because it will make us better surgeons and it can allow for individualization of learning, which is something that as a dyslexic, I never received in the medical education, which is an absolutely horrible way to go through life, trying to memorize a shit ton of information and not being able to read. So I always compliment people that do things like this. Great, let's switch to the second one. Okay, yeah, this is my paper. I love the title. So this is about augmented reality. And in augmented reality, as you know, there has to be an interaction with the real world. Uh, so there's a 3D context and there's a real world and there has to be an interaction. And when this interaction happens, typically you have to be able to see your hands because that's the source of your interaction. And what this paper was trying to do was to judge whether this near-field manipulation of the 3D context would change based on how the hand was, and let me get this word right, avatarized. So they had avatars for the hand. So they had three different modes where they had no avatar for the hand. So the candidate actually saw their own hand. They had another one that looked like a skeleton and the third that looked like a hand with a white glove on it. So they had three different kinds of avatars. The second thing they did was they created this virtual box using Unity and they used a HoloLens. The box, surprisingly, was this really odd shape, which is 47 by 45 by 33.65 centimeters. And they had 
at least 10, if not 20 balls in this virtual box. The goal was that the candidate would put their hand into this box and pick up certain yellow colored balls without hitting the other balls. And they changed the variables where they would increase the number of balls. They would increase the size of the balls and they also changed the lighting of the virtual environment. And they looked to see the efficiency. They did not look at the time it took to pick up the balls, but how efficient they could be by reducing the number of collisions or counting the number of collisions. And interestingly, what they found was that you'd expect that the one where the candidate only saw their hands would be better, but it wasn't. They found that the avatarized hand with either the skeleton looking hand or the white gloved hand actually performed better. On the other hand, when they did not have an avatar, it was worse when the light was dim, where the light was better for the other avatars. Okay, five second comment. Yeah, avatarization is not a word, is what I would say first. Listen, I think we need to be mindful about these augmented reality platforms. What we're talking about is cognitive load. I have enough to think about in surgery. I need you to make augmented reality easy, and this is one step to that. Peter? Yeah, I think it's just it's small steps. What things can you improve about the interaction that actually improves engagement? And it seems like it's small, but it's a big deal because ultimately you want people to use it and like it and get benefit from it. Stefan? Yeah, no, interesting concept. And again, this multimodal approach to learning, I think this is a small piece in the puzzle that may help people learn different and better. All right, let's switch to the, to the other one. Peter? Ah, uh, yes. So this study has kind of a big buildup for, I think, a small thing they're testing. The short of it is this. There's a bunch of stuff in the operating room. Now we got even more. We got robots, stuff for imaging, yada, yada, yada. They bump into each other. And well, so what they've created is digital twins for these big devices. And the idea is that, look, if you've got that digital twin and you've got your headset on, you might be able to tell if they're going to bump into each other or, I don't know, maybe contaminate the field. So that's what they've done. That's the buildup. And what they've actually just been testing, the reason there's two photos there is on the one side, they say, hey, what if you control this by a joystick? You know, some kind of an old school Atari fan versus what if you controlled it like, uh, you know, your Nintendo with uh, hold and press buttons. And then that's the science is comparing well. What did people like better? That's what you're seeing on the right, basically. And then on the left is how quickly could they accomplish these simple tasks like tilting the table, moving the table. And it turns out in general, if you look at the left, they could do things faster with the buttons as opposed to the joystick. Joystick, you know, apparently they fumbled with it a little bit and, you know, you could move it both forward and sideways at the same time, probably a little hard. And then just usability-wise, looks fairly even, but, you know, maybe a little bit better with the hold and press buttons. So this paper, to me, I like it, not because the science is all that mind-blowing, but because it makes you think about, well, what's possible? Now, if you have digital twins, not even just as people or organs, but what can you do with this? And this is a very simple solution for stuff bumps into each other. Is this a way to prevent it? But what more can you do beyond it? It's about looking the steps beyond. Corey. Yeah, I prefer the term virtual twin instead of digital. I'm just kidding. I was listening to the last lecture, though. Listen, let me just restate something from a surgeon's perspective. I'll tell you the truth. We're not very smart. 
And so the more of this that is done in a ambient kind of computing kind of concept, if you have a digital twin of everything in the operating room, stop asking me where to move it. Why don't you just go ahead and move it? Because our surgeries are very protocoled and routine. And so I think this is a great step towards, but people always want to like show me a better way to do more during the procedure. Typically, we're not the ones moving these C-arms, right? There's somebody else in the room moving it for us. Well, that's a whole lot easier than me doing anything. So I think the real power here will be the ability to do it in an ambient environment, like it's intuitive, it's learning what I'm doing and moving towards me uh, without me having to think about it. And then I think the other thing that's mentioned in the paper is voice commands, right? I don't always want to touch something. You know, I want to move it by my voice and that will all come. Gavin? Yeah, I completely agree with Corey. I think there's too much going on with us concentrating on the actual surgery to be worried about everything else. Although I do think that this might have been directed towards the circulating nurse, controlling things, which might be advantages. But it, I think it was very simplistic, but I think these papers are necessary to evolve into what's going to happen next. Can I counter with one thing? I mean, we're not all that smart, I agree, but it's also our job prevents us from taking the steps beyond to be more creative and imaginative in terms of what we could do with it. Sorry to interrupt your other No, I want to echo with what Corey said as far as other people doing this and being in the operating room, and I agree, we're not that smart. Just a small example is I operate at the hospital and at the surgery center, and at the hospital, they put the little bovey holder in the wrong place every time. It interferes with me broaching when I do an anti-broach hip replacement. But in the surgery center, they figured out that it's in the wrong place and they always put it in the right place. It's a small detail, but it's really annoying when that bowie is always in the way from me broaching the femur. And so these kind of studies where you can optimize positioning, especially in the ASC now, where there's smaller ORs and there's always more equipment, you know, the robots get bigger as we, uh, by the day, that this kind of stuff can really help efficiencies and put a little bit of more science behind it. Okay, so one question to close this session for everybody. So, you know, from all this paper, I get, you know, sometimes what we think is the right way of doing things is not really the right way, it turns out. For example, you know, with uh, virtual reality, you think that haptic feedback is much better than the skin sensory feedback, and instead it's not. In this case, you think a joystick is better than a button, and it's not. In the other, you think that looking at your hand in a realistic way would help you better than just looking at, you know, skeleton or the glove. So what's going on here? Help me out. Well, I think what you're hitting up against is these are important questions. And sometimes our best guess is not the truth. I thought Peter said it really well that we have to be involved as surgeons in order to articulate this. And that's really the power. I salute Beanie and so many others that have organized this conference because it's about bringing together the end user, right? The surgeon that have their own thoughts with some of these technologies and the things that we're going to find the things that are going to work, you can't guess at. So. Yeah, I agree with everyone. And I agree with you. I think you've cut through the chase and, and seen it. The common theme here in these papers are that what may seem intuitive may not necessarily be uh, the reality. And we have to do these little, what may initially seem like silly little tests, uh, research papers, but they are actually essential. Peter? I'm left with uh, nothing more and we're out of time, so I'll, I'll pass it back. One final comment. George Bernard Shaw once said, the highest form of intelligence is to keep an open mind. And I think this shows it that while we might think this is the correct way, just keep an open mind and then you will improve because it is the highest form of intelligence. Mm. 
Thank you again for listening to the Digital Earth Peace Podcast. If you find the talks as incredibly informative and topical as we do, please share this podcast with your friends and leave us a nice review on your podcast player of choice. It would mean a lot to us if you did. 